Hey, it's Erin Anderson from Live Big Co. And you're listening to the Power to Be podcast. This week, I get to coach someone as they navigate an area of their life that's stuck toward an insight that will give them personal power. My hope is that you'll listen for an insight for yourself along the way. Let's find out what this week's guest has the power to be. Welcome, Dana. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, well, and um, uh, as you know from your invitation, you got no warning, no preparation, no fancy questions, no... Yeah, no, like long prep email. You just um, got the invitation to say, hey, you want to jump in and dance with me in the unknown? And you were like, sure. (laughs) Yeah, basically, that's how it was. That's how it all went down. Just, yeah, (laughs) sure. Dive in. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, what's the, my favorite thing, my favorite thing is the dive in and into something that isn't prepared, isn't rehearsed. Um, it's when the, the most wonderful art happens. And I just, I, I really love and value the art form of conversation. Uh, I was really taught well by my, my mom, especially, and both my parents are incredible conversationalists. And, and so that's really what this is, is all about is a conversation that, um, my greatest hope would be that you would get an insight out of it. And I just happen to know from, you know, working as a coach that one insight can make all the difference. Does that, does that sound good to you? <clears throat> that sounds amazing to me. I'm, uh, mm. I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. So w- tell me a little bit more about that, about being ready for an insight. What does that feel like for you? It feels like I have been outside of myself for so long. Um, and that has really in the last few years, it just feels I'm not looking on the outside anymore. It's finally, I'm, I'm looking in, I'm looking deeper and I'm, and I'm ready to get answers from within instead Mm -hmm. of answers from the outside. Because for so long, I've, I've looked to everyone else to get signs to, to anything that would validate something that I thought was correct instead of checking in with myself and trusting my gut. I haven't really ever trusted my gut. Mm. Well, and um, the likelihood is that you were really taught well to listen to your elders or listen to the the wise ones in the family or something. Does it sound something like that? What did it sound like growing up? Yeah, I, it's actually, it's a good insight in that I've always been around adults my entire life. Mm. Um, I've always been, I think one of the first things I was ever told is that I swallowed a dictionary and that I could hold the attention of adults very strongly from a very early age. And so it was almost instilled in me that it was natural for me to, to look at others for that advice, but also that I was always being highly listened to um, mm. from a very early age. Were you the kid at the adult table, not at the kids' table? Absolutely. It was uh, our family. We have a very small family. And at the same time, um, it was always family friends. Friends were always around. And so mm. constantly surrounded by adults, constantly. Um, I started working at a very young age for my dad's company. So I was um, exposed to a corporate world as well as the client side almost from the age of, I'd say, 10 years old. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, t- how did that, um, yeah, like as a kid, so even as a 10 year old in, in, and if you can recall your 10 year old's voice, what, what would you say about yourself? I'm a what, or I'm a not a what, what would you say? I would, I would say that I, I was a very much a, a mini creation of, of my dad in that, um, I always wanted to be polished and I, I was a go-getter and I was, um, I was always looking for, uh, to have that conversation and, and be valuable to someone, um, mm. and, and give them an opportunity and, and benefit to them just because it was, it was instilled in me that those are, those are how friendships and, um, it's, it's about reciprocity, but, um, the idea of having that conversation, being helpful to someone, I think from a very early age, being the youngest, I, I was able to chart my path pretty easily because I was, I was allowed to do whatever I wanted in a lot of respects because my Mm. sister cleared that pathway for me. At a girl. We got to love those sisters. Exactly. So and now I, I love, I mean, your answer was very um, adult and, and very, um, very processed. You've thought a lot about it. You've obviously, you've very clearly put some effort and time into your own personal development and understanding of yourself. So if, if though I'm, I'm sort of interested in the, in the 10 year old Dana and, and what, like, what did she, what would she say if, um, I'm just curious, I, and I could be off base, but I'm, I'm just wondering if somebody, when they were 10, wanted to have a spitting war with you, what would you have said? What do you mean by spitting? Let's go spit on things. Come on, Dana, let's go spit on things. Or let's, I don't know, let's throw water balloons. Or I'm, I'm just wondering if, if you would have had a, a different response than, than a typical 10 year old child. Yeah, I was not your typical 10 year old because I think I always held back. Um, and mm-hmm. so that idea of, of breaking the rules or, um, I definitely was, as I became a teenager, I was the one who wanted to experiment and who, um, was, staying out late and sneaking in and things like that. But I, from appearances, I always made sure that I had a a very, um, upward appearance. Like, so yeah, I, in terms of trying those new things, it definitely didn't feel like I was included most of the Mm. time. I would say I was, hang on. So what, yeah. yeah, what would you have said? So if you were to travel back to your 10 year old self, so right now I have a 12 year old daughter and, um, she, she might say, um, she might like, I'm, I'm looking for your 10 year old self's language. So my daughter would say, I don't want to, or, um, that's just not me or, you know, something like that. So what would your 10 year old self have said about, about the, the, um, the idea of frivolous play? And using a 10-year-old's language. Oh, man. It, that's hard for me because I'm, I know. Never, I'm never surrounded by kids ever. So to Yeah, you got to travel to you. To yeah, be to, a kid yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you see? So there's something like at, um, before the age of 10. So what, what, I'm, what I'm sort of fishing for is that at a certain time in your life, when you're probably around eight, 
ish. And I would say it's likely around that age for most of us that something happened. You realize something, you sense something, you experienced fear in some way. And as a kid, you make up your mind that this is not okay, or this is not safe, or it must always be this way. It becomes quite a black and white moment. And I would say that all, all human beings go through this at some point, but very few of us are, are aware of it. And particularly, we're unaware that that uh, very childlike voice is still within us. And so there's a voice and it is a command. It's a command style voice. I can hear it in you that it's very, it's almost as though you believe that somewhere along the line that you were born an adult. You just, you just came out of the womb as a, just a polished young woman. <laughs> so there's something that happened because you weren't, obviously you were a child and then something that had you become an adult quite early. Does it feel like that to you in your recollection? Yes and no, because I think it's also the fact that I've been imprinted on from a very early age to be told that I'm a wise soul. So that idea of that there was a life before me and I possibly came out as this like little adult who who knew right from wrong pretty quickly, who knew who was self-sufficient pretty quickly. My parents to this day still talk about how they brought me home and could put me into the bed and I put myself to sleep, whereas it took months to rock my sister. So it's, it's being, it's been reinforced mm -hmm. my entire life that I've always had this, this sense of knowing what to do. Um, but you're right in that. Yeah. When I was a kid and I think I was in, it was grade three. Um, I was bullied really bad and it carried throughout my entire, um, school existence and for that moment, it was it was definitely the choice. I know exactly how it all started, which is um, this idea that I wanted to do something with this friend. They wanted to include another friend. And I was like, no, you have to choose. And because I made someone choose, they chose not me. And it created kind of this ripple effect that has lasted pretty much my entire life of, of probably me not being able to make choices as, or, or second guessing my choices, um, because mm -hmm. it was a very gut reaction and it had a very long lasting impact on me. Yeah. It's, it, um, so the, so if I was to reflect back on some things you've said that, that in, in your, the lore of your family, the stories of your family, it was always this delightful story about Dana and how they brought you, brought you home from the hospital and put you to bed and you slept perfectly and you were a little angel and you were always so engaging with the adults and you were always well behaved and polished and so much so that you got, you got offered a job with the family job and you were entrusted quite a bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of, yeah, let's trust her. She's the one. She's she's the one. She can handle it. And there's a, a bit of a sense of uh, you, you being in control, you being in charge. And when you're in charge, everything's going well. But then one day somebody bullies you and like your whole world is just shaken to the core because, wait a minute, I thought I was the one in charge. And now you're telling me you're in charge? Did yeah. it feel a bit like that? Yeah, it was like my power was stripped from me, even though it was my own making. Well, how was it your own making? Because I gave an ultimatum and I wasn't 
prepared for the fact that someone might not agree with me because <laughs> everybody has always agreed with me up until that point for the most part. Right, right. So how has that played out through your in your life now? How, what are you noticing? Um, are you noticing a thread, or are you noticing it the shadow of this coming up now for you? Yeah, and a lot of that started when. Again, I started my career over 10 years ago and it was it was pretty much set in stone of okay, this is where you're going to go to university. This is your degree. This is how it's going to manifest into a job and literally it was checking every single box. And then as soon as I started to question, well, I'm going down this very narrow pathway and I don't feel like I want to be this narrow anymore. And I started asking myself questions. And the more questions I asked, it, um, it overwhelmed me because I had never been thought of, or I never thought of myself as having this many possibilities. And so once my world started to open, I went, oh my God, I don't trust my gut of where I want to go, how I want to do this where I should go, what am I offering? And, and so it was to this day, I'm still questioning whether I'm in the right place doing the right thing. Um, because I've, I know I can do more. I just don't know why I can do more. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I mean, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. So there's a theme with you about being in charge. Either somebody's in charge or I'm in charge, but for sure there's somebody here, there's somebody in, in charge at all times. And that the idea of questioning and uh, not knowing the direction you want to go in is just, it, it feels like it's just not okay. It's just, that's just not okay. Unacceptable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, how does that feel in your body that, that, um, that example of just questioning things and not knowing who's in charge. What does that feel like in your body? Uh, so much constriction to the point where I've, I've had panic attacks manifest over the last few years quite seriously because I've just bottled things up until I reach a breaking point and then it's just an unhealthy spiral of, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's so all those questions start to arise and then something good happens. And I'm like, oh, I can coast with this for a bit. But it's because I've never dealt with why do I feel like I want to throw up? And why do I feel like my stomach is constricting itself when this is happening? Why do I feel like I've lost my voice or my brain's not settling? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You're asking the wrong question. That's why. Yeah. How so? <laughs> uh, so um, the question, so um, the questions we ask, um, the, it, it's really just always about the question all the time. So if you ask a quality question, you get a quality answer. You ask a low quality question, you typically get a low quality answer. And we've experienced this in our relationships over and over again, but you're doing it in the relationship with yourself. So asking yourself, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. Why is this happening? 
uh, like even just the why, why am I doing this? Why is this not happening? Why is this happening? The, the why is like torture. It's like death by a thousand cuts. You'll never actually get an answer that satisfies your in charge person. The in charge Dana wants to have everything in its place in order. Check boxed, check box checked. Yeah. Like, yep. <laughs> yeah. So there's, um, there is an element of control. Now, I also sense if if I if we look at identify the the control side of you, I sense in you. Now, I don't know you well, Dana. We've met um, just online, like in a workshop that we're doing together. But I don't know you, but I sense in you an artist or um, like a painter or an, an art. There's an artist in you that is the the creative. I just sense it. And so what, when I say that, what happens, where do you go? It's funny because as soon as you said that my entire body just kind of started to relax a little bit because for mm. the whole conversation we've had just now, it felt, I felt really constricted and like mm. almost as if I was holding myself really tightly. And the moment you kind of acknowledged that, it's uh it felt a little bit like a breath like a ah, Ooh, a little bit yeah yeah well, first of all, I so appreciate your body awareness and the our bodies are our access to the now. Always, always, always. Anxiety is the concern for around something that's not happening the way you want it to happen. That's all that anxiety is. And so being able to be present with your body being constricted or being relaxed, now that's that's genius. That is that is deep wisdom. Now actually that's wisdom. <laughs> all that other stuff not necessarily, but body awareness is wisdom. Now, one of the reasons your body was feeling that way was because I was talking to Dana, the controller. I was talking to Dana in charge. And then I even just mentioned the word artist. And I'm, I'm actually saying, Hey, 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 is the Dana artist there? Can I talk to her? And she was like, yeah, I, I want to talk. Let's, let's chill out. Let's kick our feet up and have a conversation. Does it feel a little bit like that? Like split energy in that way? Yeah, because I'm always focused on being so serious that when I get to be a little bit more lighthearted and and people get to see that side of me, a lot of people start to go, oh my God, I, I didn't really know that about you because I have been described as like a bulldog when people meet me because I am so serious, but I go deep fast because I... I kind of am a no nonsense person and I want to have real conversations and none of this artificial surface stuff. So it's, it's a hard thing for some people to, to relate to when they meet me or when they're working with me, but it's, it's such a quick flip. Um, and I've had that acknowledged or told to me by several people, which is, it's interesting as a pattern to try and acknowledge because I don't want to change my approach because that's, that is me. But the more I, I soften up when, and I show more of my personality and it's not about control in that moment. It's just showing the well-rounded person that I am versus I guess the person they expect off the top. Uh 
And, and when you think that way, so, um, you said that's who I am, um, that you, you said a few things like that's how they experience me. Um, you said that, you know, sometimes you're like a bulldog, um, but then you'll, you'll be lighthearted, you, you know, so you sort of describing yourself in this way. And if you were to put yourself into a scenario where you are facing people and they are experiencing you certain ways, and you talked a little bit about the desire to come across a certain way, is all of that living in your mind? Like you're thinking about it. Do you think about that? Yes. I overthink it because I'm so concerned with being accepted. Maybe so. Maybe so. And, um, the first answer usually is a bit of a throwaway answer, the because. <laughs> so um, don't wrap yourself up in a bow around that just yet. But um, more look at the patterns of what, about the way that you're thinking. So I don't know if you've ever, I'm not going to get this quote proper. I'm not going to get it right. But it's, it goes something like, like that the mind is a great servant and a terrible master. Where when you're thinking and you're thinking about this is my personality, this is the way I am, this is what works, this is what doesn't work, I'm lighthearted now, um, you know, versus I'm a bulldog now, like being present to it and thinking that way, it's your terrible, ser terrible um, uh, servant at as a, the master in your mind driving versus the innate God form of you. So if you were to show up in complete surrender in, um, well, let me ask you this, Dana, do you do anything like, do you like, um, any kind of sport or, uh, like surfing or like downhill skiing or, um, uh, I don't know, bungee jumping. Like, is there anything like that that you've done in your, in your past, in your life? Yeah. So I grew up as an Alpine skier. And then also the thing that brings me kind of the most peace is any kind of water sport. So paddleboarding, kayaking, it's the methodical just going with the water. So yes, mm -hmm. I, I, that, that idea of the surfer world, if I could ever get there, but that for me living in lake life is all about the paddleboard and the, the kayak, but yeah, the, just the yes. skiing hit, getting that perfect line. Right. Okay. So before you're getting, okay, I, it's really good. Okay. So I got to talk to Dana, the artist a little bit here. So if Dana, the artist is skiing and, or on a paddleboard or some, something in, in the, that realm of love of true, like enjoyment and love, when you're there, are you thinking about the way you're being? No, it's just, my body's just naturally in the movement and my, it's like I surrender the control and it's just flowing. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's a, a concept called flow state and in flow state, uh, I think it was measured that flow state, true flow state lasts only, you know, a few moments. And in that true flow state, you are in 100% presence. You're totally present. Nothing else exists. And that, that, um, builds a pathway in your brain to be able to expand on that ability to be present, but you, you are familiar enough with it to know that that's what you love, right? You're, you're, you gravitate towards that. Don't you? I love when I get in the zone and something mm -hmm. excites me and then I can't stop like writing pages and pages in a journal. And it's just, that's, I know you and I have talked about it, but I think before is when am I at my happiest? And one was when I was on the water. And two was when something sparks an idea in me. And it just feels like I, 
want to like I'm just buzzing it's literally feels like I'm a human buzzing like all around Mm. and my um, aim here with you is to help you not be conditional about that. So being being able to have access to that unconditionally, it doesn't matter if you're on top of a mountain or in a high rise you know, um, office, you have access to that. If you've experienced it once before, you can experience it anywhere. Now, the, the thing I'm really most curious about is if from right here and right now, thinking about you in this somewhat split energy between the Dana in charge and Dana the artist, there is a third way. There is more like a middle middle path. And if you were to if you were to bring something with you along that middle path, what would it be? And and I mean like an intention. Hmm. Um. I'm trying to think of well, and I'm trying to not overthink. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, you got to think from that belly region. Mm-hmm. First thing that comes to mind. The first thing that came to mind was love. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and love was the feeling that you felt so purely before that time when you had to be in charge as a kid. Yeah. Was the rest of the time, like, I shouldn't say the rest of the time, but the other memories that you've had about being a kid, sitting at the adult table, being hired by your father, working, you know, being the polished in charge, Dana, did that, um, did that feel like love to you? Honestly, it's hard to have some of those memories because I've, I've been so focused on how those pieces have built me versus I'm just, it's funny. One memory that comes to, to life that felt like just pure love was when we took a family vacation and we were in Scotland and it was just like this off the beaten path Mm. uh, house. And we went there with our cousins and, and they, uh, it was beautiful. And I, I can literally picture the room that my sister and I stayed in, the canopy beds, the tea set, the the grounds that had bunny rabbits everywhere, and the fact that they had five yellow labs and we would like play checkers and have meals and just laugh. And that, I think I, I see it in pictures, but I was maybe five, three mm. or five. And that memory has stuck with me so strongly because it just it was such like a pure moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What if you were to, mm, from a uh, 25,000 feet, like we're, we're in an airplane, you and I are, we're just peeking out the window, looking down onto your, your life and the history. So the, the past, and if you, if you were to observe be, being the witness to your childhood and your life, what and you don't have to be right and you might be wrong and you might be right but you're just observing like you're looking out the window oh i think it's a sheep no it's a cow it's a bit like that but if you were to look from way above on your childhood and and look at your family at around this age of 5 you're um you're on this beautiful trip it's a bit off the beaten track a track and it's like these dogs and teacups it's beautiful i can sort of feel the sunlight and i can feel i can i can smell it almost it's so visceral 
So after that, when you got home and in the years to follow, what was going on? What was happening with your parents that something changed with the way that they related to you uh, as being um, somebody they relied on? Something happened there. Uh, I think, well, my dad started his own business the year that I was born. And so uh, everything has kind of stemmed from those moments. And I, I'm not sure of the milestones, but I know that um, like just within a few months of me being born, my my dad had lost his job and they had moved into this house. and And so it was this idea of like, he had to be propelled into starting his own business. Mm. And I think um, this concept of survival mode and, and having probably around the age of five is when I started going to preschool. And that was the first memory, honestly, of when my parents would tell me that the other parents would stay after they picked up the kids in class, just because I would, they'd listen to me speak. So that was, that was kind of the first moment of someone telling me that I was commanding attention and, and it was, it was kind of in, built into that moment beyond that and what was happening in my family. I'm not quite sure beyond me probably speculating that my dad's business five years in was probably starting to feel pretty established. And, and I think my mom had officially quit um, her own job and started working for the business. So everything in our household, because my dad worked from the house, so did my mom, their offices have always been in the basement. Our, this work-life um, balance, it was just, they were always wrapped in one through throughout my whole childhood. So my dad always came up for dinner at six o'clock, but and I, but I always knew he was downstairs because the the basement was the office for him and my mom. So although my parents were always around, it was the business was in the house, which is why it was a bit of a well. You're going to come work for the business, and you can help start doing certain things because whether it was putting together signage or or helping prep for a tournament, it was in the house, so we couldn't really avoid avoid it. So I just wanted to be helpful, and it was something I could do. Mm-hmm. So though, as though your home became quite cluttered. There was no distinction between mm-hmm. what was home and what was work. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like that now with yourself? Yes, because it's uh, my my whole identity has been wrapped up in what is my career. And so the moment about three years ago, when I had my breakdown of what am I doing? Where am I going? It really shook me to the core of, well, if this is not my career path, then who am I? And it was a really hard struggle for me, but it was also a really hard struggle for my parents to understand because I had been on this like very clear path for seven years of what I was doing, where I was going to go. And the, I was like, I blew it all up in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, an artist, true artist loves chaos. <laughs> Burn it, wreck it, cut it up, put it back together. 
So the artist in you is really at play. Um, if you look at allowing yourself some space for that to happen. And let me just, let me just go back here for a moment. There's, there's something that's very interesting about um, when you're a little child, um, and particularly in utero, and there's quite a bit of stress and particularly money stress that's going on when you're a young child that get, gets, um, it's, it's like the air you're breathing. It becomes, uh, it, it, it goes into your, into your nervous system and it kind of lingers there like embers. And so there's some, uh, some, uh, hidden unnamed stress around, and I, I'm not sure what it is. You know, this more, and I'm going to offer like something about taking risks or, um, something about, you know, never, never stop. What is it? It's, it's something like that. Like, the the worst thing that your your parents would um have thought would happen would be like what take a month off or um risk it all or to gamble or there's some there's something what would it have been the worst thing the worst thing is what you're saying which is i wanted to take more than a month off i've i've wanted to take a year off and just go to a different country and just try something and and see if that stuck. I've, right. Yeah. I've you never... don't explore. Do not explore. Dana, like light your, light your hair on fire before you explore. Don't explore. Grow roots. Something like that. Uh, yeah, hundred percent because, and I struggle with this all the time because I'm fortunate enough to be a homeowner at my age and 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 get to where I'm at successfully with a mortgage, but I also know that it has. I have let it limit me. I'm not saying it has limited me. I have let it limit me because I've been fiscally eh. responsible for something. Eh. <laughs> eh. Eh. You know what you uh, you're so sweet about the way you said all of that, but listen, you created it. You created that home. You created the wealth to have it, and you choose. You choose to own a home. You choose to not own a home. You can choose to dye your hair purple. Like you, you, you choose. But somewhere in this journey of yours, and there's these really um, flashes of light that really sort of sh shine a light on it. There was something that had you believe on some level that you don't have a choice there. There was something about that moment when you were in the, um, uh, was it preschool or kindergarten class when everyone stopped to listen to you? Yeah, it was preschool. Sounds like a, yeah, it sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah. Like, Oh God, everyone's looking at me. So I better say something amazing. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I've, I've always felt that pressure to, to be the best because I, when my parents talk to their friends and they boast as most parents do, and they sure. always want to boast about how great their kids are. And then they compare to other people's kids and they're like, Oh, can you imagine like this kid is just, they're don't know where they're going. They're taking off a year. They're going wakeboarding in such a, such a country. Mm -hmm. And I'm just dreaming about saying, well, that's so cool. And I used to, and I, I'm very conscious of this now, I think when initially my parents said it, and I was like, yeah, they don't have any roots. They don't have a home. Like, what are they right. going to do? And now I'm going, their life is amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, now here's the thing. Okay, so here's the thing. 
you could very easily swing from one extreme to the other. Dana in charge, got it all handled, is a homeowner, got it buttoned down, is the best employee of all time, kind of creative on the side. That's cool. But you could have it all buttoned down in, in, a, in a box, right? Pretty in a box. And you could also swing way the other way and become this, you know, I don't know, boho, the chic chick who's traveling all over the world and doesn't give a hoop. But neither will really serve you truly because both are in a box, both of them. Right. And even while you were talking about uh, these accolades that your parents were giving you, it's a form of putting you in a box. I, listen, incredibly innocently, and I'm quite certain that I do it with my kids all the time. But what happens what happens with people, particularly parents, and I am a parent, I'm quite sure I'm blowing the whistle on myself, is it can sound like this. Oh, um, my daughter's name is Lily. I don't say it like this, but it could sound like, oh, she's so me. Oh my gosh, she's so me. And that is uh, one of the most, the most innocent disservices that I could ever, uh, ever offer her. She is so not me. She's Lily. You know, it's the the collapse, the assimilation of all people in your family behave like this, act like this, sound like this, maybe even look like this. Okay, everyone got it? Okay, phew, safe. Yeah. A little bit like... <laughs> I don't know. I, I pictured like the caveman who like ever the family's all inside and then they come rushing out and they go get food and they go rush back in. So it's like that, that safety, uh, there, your parents are coming, um, coming from judgment, but that's fueled by fear. Yeah. Don't be different. Yeah. So you can love them and appreciate them from 26,000 feet. I, I can imagine that it must be difficult face to face. Yeah, and I can tell you that every time I have attempted the conversation when I wanted to switch careers and say, I just need to take a break. I'm just going to I think I'm just going to go here for a month. I, that's what I that's what I want to do. And then I I can smell the fear on you. I can smell it. I yeah. I'm coming in for the jugular. I get mm -mm. talked down and I and I'm basically told everything that <laughs> could go wrong and I'm and I'm told about all the positive things that I have going for me. And I, I just need to channel that in this way instead. <laughs> yeah, like control is a form of love. And it's so not. It's an accidental form of love. But really, if you, if you know that you come from love, you could probably see it in them too. So yeah. what, tell me this, what do you think they're really saying? If you were to cut through the crap, what do you think they're really saying to you? What they're Wait, really who, yeah. well, hang on, hang on. Let me just get it. Hang on. Is it your mom who speaks more or your dad? Let's just go get it. It's Whose voice? Mom. It's my yeah, mom. Yeah. So listen. I love your mom. Your mom is boss. She like gave up a bunch of stuff. She sacrificed herself for her family. She went all in on her husband's business. She rolled up her sleeves and she handled it. She raised how many kids? Two? Two, yeah. Two beautiful girls who are out there living great lives. And she is like, she is just proud as can be. So your mom's got it going on. 
and your mom got jolted at a very precarious time in her life when she was pregnant and unsure about her financial future. It, it, probably, it probably scared her to the, to the bone. And maybe even something that happened with her in her childhood. So we can like look at your mom, forgive her, love her, bless her. Your mom is boss. And your mom is showing you and sharing her love with you in a way that is ineffective. So tell me what, what does it sound like now that we've made her great? What does it sound like? It sounds like, well, are you sure that's, that's what you want to do? You're so good at this. You, you're, you just, you're, you mastered this, you know what you're doing and this can make you a lot of money. Are you sure that this is where you can actually afford the the life you want. And are, are you sure you want to be around those people? Yeah. So it sounds like doubt, uncertainty, fear, doubt, Dana, doubt. Oh, Dana, fear, 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 right? If you were to peel back the words, that's all that's being said. Yeah. And I know that because every time I take a leap. And there have been times where when I did switch careers and I went from sport to charity and both my parents did not understand how I was going to make it work or why I wanted to do it, but I did it for two years and they, they finally, they finally got comfortable with it just as I went, no, I'm ready for a change again. And I threw them for a loop. Mm -hmm. Have you ever, um, goodness, I mean, McDonald's became as successful as it is because of its consistency. You can rely on the burgers tasting exactly the same no matter where you are in the world, yeah? Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's feeding right into our human brains that crave consistency and safety. We crave it. All of us, including you. And the only thing that's become consistent for you lately is your inconsistency and you're becoming attached to it. That's, that sounds true because I'm, it's easier for me to jump around than it is for me to stay. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it feels like, or, and it sounds like you're defending something that you don't really care to defend. Yeah. It's, it's, that's honestly a really good way of putting it because I, I've actually stopped caring. I've, no, that's not true. I still care. I've tried to stop caring that when I, go and meet. um, Here's a really good example. I, in this new job that I've been in for three months, uh, my old friend from one of my first jobs is around the corner and she works with a lot of my old colleagues from there. And I go in to say hi to everyone and they go, oh, hey, are are you still with so-and-so? And And I was like, oh no, that was like three jobs ago. And they're like, oh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this idea of okay, well, maybe Dana's bouncing around a lot. And maybe I know that I'm feeling judged because that's my perception. But at the same time, I'm going, I had to do what I had to do. Well, and even beneath that, yes, sure. And even beneath all of that, you are not your job. But you think you are. Yeah, that's kind of, that's the clutch there. I'm not my job, but I've built my whole life around it. Well, and uh, innocently you were trained to, 
I mean, look at, look at what you grew up in, where your home, the home, your childhood home, where, um, I, when, when we were kids, we used to, we used, I don't know how we found trays. I don't, I'm trying to think like, where the heck did these trays come from? Like the plastic trays, we'd grab plastic trays and we would slide down the stairs, bam. And then we had this other, like, um, two, two, um, like three steps and then a little landing and then 12 steps or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It would go around a corner. And so we would go, we'd go running down the hall. We would hit, we would jump past those three steps bang. And then the whole foundation of the house would be like, like rock to the core. And then we would run down the rest of them and slam the door. And then there was dog and bar, but that, that likely didn't happen in your home. Likely. I mean, there's like, there wasn't that wreaking havoc of, of a childhood home where you get to, you know, kind of let loose and uh, be at home. There was a vibration in your home. And listen, I work at home. Okay. You would laugh. I'm almost sitting on the floor in my uh, guest bedroom in my house. I've lit a lovely candle from my one of my favorite companies, Anupaya. I've got my tea. I've got, you know what I mean? But I'm in my guest room, like sitting in a corner. So this, this work from home is part of our reality and my kids are growing up around it. Yet there was something though that was quite collapsed. I would call it a form of assimilation where ho- home and work became one. They were fused together, no separation. Does that feel about right? Yeah. And when you were mentioning that idea of like jumping down the stairs or making noise, (laughs) I, oh, trust me, it's, it was instilled at me at a very early age that like we didn't have doors to the basement. So it was open. So therefore anything in the house, including the TV or even the dog barking had to be kept to a very minimum, like, because when dad's working or, and my mom was working too, but when my dad was on calls or anything else, it was very clear that like, the house, we've always said, like we walk on eggshells around my dad. And that's yeah. for two reasons. One is because of the office and two, because of his own personal condition. And so I've been trained my entire life and it's been reinforced that we walk around eggshells around dad. Mm-hmm. And sure. only now and, and this is the greatest blessing I've experienced only now because his business is dependent on um, group gatherings. Has he been forced to slow down? And I have never seen my dad like this ever. And this is the most relaxed mm-hmm. three months of my entire life. I've probably, we call him winter dad versus summer dad because of his business. And I finally had winter dad extended because summer dad didn't have to show up. Yeah. The level of naming and um, claiming and assimilation and collapse uh, that you've had to deal with ever since you were little is is uh, palpable. And I would say that um, it's one thing to have uh, those kinds of rules in a home and to have a home office and um, and to have that work life being somewhat intertwined. And it's another to have that with a healthy dose of fear. And it, it 
it feels like, and uh, I also adore your dad. He's got it going on. He was resourceful. He figured it out. He um, created an entire, he should be so darn proud of the life he's created for his family. And yet there's likely a monkey on his back, something that he's always been, um, you know, tending to that it might, it, there might be a, an incorrect uh, belief that he's had that it could end any day or um, I got to ride this out as long as I can or something along those lines, something that, that sounds not secure. Yep. And that's, I think that's the conversation we have every year because my dad and I talk shop a lot because it's something that we relate over and he loves talking to me about it. And so he relies on you. He does. Yeah. Like we used to, there's a joke in our family where my dad and his friends, he says like, Oh, I got a guy for that because he'd always know someone to get you what you needed. And then as my career started, I started to become the one that I was like, Oh dad, I got a guy for that. And I became him in a lot of those ways where he could come to me for that special thing that nobody else could could find you or get you access to. Dana, what what would it be like if I told you that you were useless? Oh god, that that would be probably one of the hardest things someone would ever I'd ever have to hear. <laughs> like it makes you want to throw up. Yeah, I literally I got like that reflex. Mhm. Mhm. There's such an, a heavy weight on being useful. Yeah. I want to be needed. Yeah. Mm, you need to be needed. I don't think you want it. You're right, actually. That is true. I don't, I don't want that burden all the time. No. And it is a burden. You know, um, I, I, I had this visceral memory while you were talking about your childhood too, about standing beside my, my family's, um, our kid, our dining room table. And, and my, I just remember my parents there. I'm not even sure my brother and sister were there, but my parents were, were there. And I, um, I was really hyper. I, and I probably was eight. I was really hyper and I was talking like a mile a minute. And I think I told a joke and I think I did a little dance or something. Like I was amped and my mom just found it to be delightful in the moment. Thank God. And, but then she looked at me and she said, I should put you into acting lessons. And I immediately had this, oh, like I, it was like my, my balloon was deflated. I, I just, I just wanted her to be light, delighted in me and see me as I was. And just to have this moment of surprise and fun and just ridiculousness and to have it not have to go anywhere, to have it not have to become something. Does that resonate with you that you had to have it go somewhere and be something? Yeah, it feels like in my family, you do things for a purpose. You don't, um, we measure our days on, on what we've accomplished. So, um, mm. that's, that's been a big thing instilled in my, in my whole childhood. And to this day it's all right. Okay. What did you do today? Okay. Well, you feel accomplished. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then it was a good day. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, um, well, it's like how people measure money, right. As a form of, of accomplishment. And what they forget is that m money is the fuel, but the mission is what's most important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
okay, when you say that, what would you rather? If if accomplishment wasn't the measure, what what does measure your life, Dana? <sighs> I'm really, I think that word accomplishment is not for me because I don't want to do a task. I don't want to be a taskmaster every day, but I'm trying to figure out how do I measure fulfillment. So um, I'd say the other day, like I went to bed happy because all of a sudden at nine o'clock at night, I was watching something that just sparked my brain in a million different directions and I couldn't go to sleep until midnight because things were just pouring out of me and so Mm. I'd say from about six in the morning until nine I felt like garbage because I just it was a low day for me and I didn't feel like it was going anywhere and then all of a sudden that moment happened and I went all right that was a great day like that one thing that I was grateful for trumped everything else Amazing. Amazing. And also it shows you how messable you are, how messable with you are. Yeah. You're easily messed with Dana. Yeah. I can easily go off balance. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. There's, if I was to be like a, like a GP and diagnose. So if I was to come in as a diagnostician, there's, um, there's, One thing that uh, I've said it a few times is this sense of assimilation where you're collapsed into um, believing that you are your accomplishments or that does that feel about about the bottom line? I am my accomplishments. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. And and you did a beautiful job with with all due respect to your family and the way you were raised. And I know that if you and I were to extend this conversation, you could point out the many, many gifts. I get it. And all we're ever talking about, is, especially in a coaching conversation, is what's the roadblock in the way of your dreams? Like what's in the way? And it's this particular, um, I wouldn't say little, <laughs> this particular um, roadblock that is in your way, that is learned. It is, it came from uh, honest, loving, good intentions through the window of fear and by the hand of judgment. Don't be like that, this or that. Be like this, this, and this. And please don't break my heart. Please be like this because I can't handle it any other way. There, there's almost like heartbreak is so close by that if you were to fail, quote unquote, fail, F-A-I-L, whatever that means, if you were to fail, it would wreck someone else. You, Your failure would hurt someone more than it would hurt you. Does it have that feeling to it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And what do you know to be true about your failure? What do you mean? Mm. Yeah, it's on you good. It's on you good. What do you know? So let's let's look at something super low stakes. Um, when was the last time you just, you, you fucked up? You made a mistake. You like, when was the last time you, yeah, you failed. Like, hashtag fail. When was the last time? <laughs> um, well... I didn't keep a promise to myself to try and even be healthy. Like that's, 
that's a small one, but it's a big one for me at the sure. same time. Okay. So you didn't make, oh, and you said the word. Okay. My God. Okay. So you didn't keep the promise to yourself around your health. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. How did that hurt your mom? It didn't. Yeah. It didn't. It can't. No. It just can't. Because she's a soul, a spirit on this earth with karma to fulfill, with her own promises to fulfill. And so do you. You are a spirit and a soul who is untethered, who is completely unattached, who is absolutely free. And who is here to fulfill on a promise. What's the promise you're here to fulfill on, Dana? Oh, man. Don't overthink it. Just to love myself. Oh. Okay. That had me sit straight up. (laughs) Get chills in my legs. To love yourself. That's your promise? Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Here's how it goes, my sweet. It's the easiest thing ever. At the end of the day, when you lay your head on your pillow, you get to ask yourself, how fully did I love myself today? And measure that for your fulfillment. Wow. That is, that is very simple. And yet, yeah, that's simple. (laughs) Because you're not worried about your skill set, your education, your your work ethic. You're not worried about that stuff. No, absolutely not. You you haven't been since you were three and you had to figure out how to like, you know, sit on a chair without falling off. Like you you haven't worried about any of that stuff ever. Your capability is not a problem. And man, let me just guess that the wishy-washy self-care stuff doesn't work for you? I've tried. It's just, uh, it's funny because this idea of, I've been told so many times by, I've, I've tried to have a spiritual reading and the first thing that they said was, you're really in your head and you need to go inward and you got to go to be spiritual. And that's always been a like a ah kind of word mm-hmm. to me. Because mm-hmm. I can't measure it, I can't. How do you measure? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I I can't see it. I can't. I can't look it up. I can't. I can't do all <laughs> the things that makes, sheet. doesn't yeah. make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, but you know how fully you've loved yourself. You know. Yeah, I definitely do. Just in this conversation, on a scale of one to ten, how fully did you love yourself? It, easily a nine. Yeah. Good job. You get to be like, seriously, good job. Like really, like, like if there was a Pulitzer prize or something, you know what I mean? Like go, go big with how woohoo that is. That is, that is huge. What, um, hang on. I want to give you, I want to leave you with, uh, with like a map. Yeah, let's do it like this. 
So um, you're going to be guided by inner hearing. Um, this map process was taught to be by my teacher, Suzanne Conrad, and you're going to just listen for a number. How many things is it time for you? How many things is it time for you just now? We're, you know, on this day, at this hour, in this moment, with these insights in within you. How many things is it time for you to stop doing now? Three. Great. What are they? Stop beating myself up about food and or health in general and just be a bit more relaxed and gracious towards myself. Okay. You did a great job of confusing your brain and yep. you'll forget <laughs> everything you just said. <laughs> that all sounded really nice. We could make an Instagram post about it and it would go viral. It would be so good, but we're not going to do that. So, okay. That was a good first try, like the pancake, your first one, throw it out. Next one. So you're going to, yeah, I hear you. You're going to stop beating yourself up about, about food. So the question was, what is it time for you to stop doing now? And, um, I want you to go as specific as your, as your brain can allow. Stop overthinking everything. Okay. Um, try that. Stop overthinking right now. Oh, you did it. You didn't do it. Fail. I, I, that's, that's a throwaway number two. Cause that you'll ne you'll never not. How do you know? How do you know oh, you're not yeah. overthinking? So what, what is the time? <laughs> <laughs> I want you to get tactical. So, um, um, hang on. Let me just see if I can give you a really uh, fun example. Okay. What it's, uh, uh, here's something for, for me, legit. What it's time for me to stop doing now is, uh, going to work in my pajamas. Oh, okay. This is how specific we need to oh, get. Oh yeah, baby. This is how we play. What is the time for you to stop doing now, Dana? Stop it. Taking my phone to bed because it's the last thing I look at and it's the first thing I look at. Boom. Okay. It's time for you to stop taking your phone to bed. One more or two more things. What else? Stop sitting at my desk for lunch because why? <laughs> <laughs> because why? Right. So stop sitting at your, at your desk for lunch. And the third thing? Stop ordering food because you don't I'm have to give me a because stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop yeah. it. Okay. Bonus bonus. Stop it is saying the word because. Okay. <laughs> stop. Stop justifying <laughs> everything. <laughs> yes. Including to your sweet parents. Yeah. I'm going to Thailand. Can't wait. I'll send you a postcard. Bye. <laughs> So, okay, really good. So three things that it's time for you to stop doing. And now give me, um, listen for a number. How many things is it time for you to start doing now, Dana? Listen for the number. Yeah. Two. Two, wonderful. What are they? Going for walks again. Awesome. Well, careful with the again. The judgment came in and slapped you on the wrist and said, you used to walk, now you don't walk. So it sort of came in with a little bit of a bitchy voice. So, um, do you want to do a take two on that one? Yeah. Going okay, for go walks. Ahead. Awesome. Uh, give me one more measure to that. Is it every day? Is it once a week? Is it, what is it? Every day. Awesome. 
So it's time for you to start going for walks every day. Yeah. And just to, just for fun, do you have a a measure of around how long you'd like to walk for? About an hour. Yeah. Listen for it. An hour. Great. Okay. So it's time for you to start going for walks every day for an hour. Wonderful. The second thing? Writing in my journal. It's time for you to write in your journal. Yeah. Like every day? Every day. Wonderful. Bring your journal with you on your walk and have a seat. Mm-hmm. So now you've got you, my lovely overthinker with a very active brain who comes from incredible lineage of duty. You have a map that was generated from right here, right now. You never, you never need anything more than that. Get a map for right here, right now. How many things is it time for me to tell my mom now? How many things is it time for me not to tell my mom now? Like that, you can navigate that way. Your intuitive abilities have always been there. You've been a wise soul ever since you were little, but your wisdom is not here to entertain people. Your wisdom is for your use, your use only. It's for you to use, to navigate your world. I love that. Your wisdom is the thing that will help you love yourself. (sighs) Yes. Mm, Big exhale. Yeah. Yeah. You feel lighter to me and um, so much more of yourself. I'm even smiling. It's just natural (laughs) right now. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it doesn't need to be measured. It doesn't need to go into a check, you know, box. It's it's beautiful. Just like we don't measure the sun or the moon. Natural. Mm-hmm. You know what I would I would love, what I would love. I would love to talk to you again and to see how your um self-love practice is going. As though it was, you know how, um, you know how a, a, a lawyer or a doctor calls it a practice. Mm-hmm. It's my law practice. It's as serious as that, right? As and as powerful as that. Your self love practice. I'd love to check back in with you and see how that's going. Yeah, I think that would be helpful for me too. Yeah, I'm very um, grateful for you sharing so vulnerably and completely and with such, I mean, I just really feel and hear the love in your voice for your family and your upbringing and what a, what a, so so many gifts that you got from all of that. And it's really just time for you to set yourself free from any incorrect shackles that are on you. They're just not there anyway. That's all just a story. I'm ready for my story now. Yes, you are. Time to take back authority. Author your life. Mm. (laughs) Thank you, Erin. I'm on the sidelines with my my pom-poms cheering, and I can't wait to be silly with you. (laughs) Silly and ridiculous and useless. (laughs) What a concept. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's when great art is made, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's my only other request is I would love to um, see you do something that feels silly and ridiculous, like 
draw a drawing with your left hand or, you know, do something that just doesn't feel like it's the right way to do it. I would just, I would love that. That would be so fun. I will try. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you so much for playing with me and for trusting the process. And uh, I look forward to checking back in with you again. Thanks. Thank you so much, Erin. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us this week on the Power to Be podcast. To my guests, you need to know, wow, it takes something to dig deep and push past resistance and let what's in the way drop. And you did this publicly. You're my hero. And to my listeners, thank you for holding big space for them and for yourself. I sincerely hope an insight was available to you. I'm committed to delivering real deal, fearless coaching to bring you a fresh perspective and to tear down barriers and limiting beliefs and provide the support, energy, and love that will make all the difference in your life. I'm here for you. Let's connect. Visit livebigco.com to learn more. I can't wait to find out what you have the power to be.